Hello. Today's reading is from the book of Deuteronomy. Once again, that's Deuteronomy 24, verses 17 to 22. Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And when you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for a time to talk about it. And we always pray, Father, that you would bless this time. And we open up our hearts and say, speak to us, Lord. Convict us of whatever you want to, Lord. We open ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In uh, preparation for today's message, as I was, as, you know, prepping this week, I was, uh, you know, talk, uh, doing some searching around online about hospitality, just kind of looking for images and different things like that. And you know, almost every image you see when you see hospitality is a hotel. And I thought, wait, 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 that's not even hospitality, right? You're paying them. <laughs> it's like the definition of hospitality is generosity. I mean, it, you know, I mean, it involves generosity, involves giving. I go, what's happened to a culture that now views of hospitality is if you, is it, you know, you have to pay for it or for things you're being paid to do. You know, hospitality was actually super critical by coming to faith. It was actually a community which really opened up their lives, opened up their houses, opened, you know, had food, invited me into their community. That was so critical. My uh, echoing, I don't feel like this is a Moses moment. We'll go back to that when I quote Deuteronomy. That's when this should come on properly. But, uh, you know, the community invited me into their lives. And that was the first time I got introduced to Jesus, first time I learned about it. I was so taken by this community invited me in. Literally two months I was in that community before I became the Lord. And I still, you know, believe that hospitality is one of the key, really a key command of the Lord, a key aspect of, of what it means to walk with him. You know, hospitable in all that you have. And we were, uh, I still don't know, maybe Nikki knows, I should, probably should have asked her, but there's a phrase that we've often go back to again and again as we think about being hospitable in our lives versus um, this one author, I can't remember who it was, because sometimes when you don't even want to, I don't want to pretend to have made it up when I'm quoting someone, nor do I want to have a twisted version and credit to them. So, 
the idea that um, one of the difference between hospitality and entertaining is, uh, as the person would say, is hospitality seeks to bless, entertaining seeks to impress. You know, and you ask yourself, are you being hospitable or are you entertaining? You know, entertaining is very, and, and you ask yourself, well, I'm never trying to impress people. Well, are you ever concerned that what people think when they come over? <laughs> or you're very, you know, if you're just seeking to bless them, you're much less concerned with, is my place messy? But if you're extremely concerned with your place messy, I think you're just not looking to bless them. You know, you're looking to entertain them. But, you know, what I think what God calls us to is a desire to bless people. You know, we're in a series pursuing biblical community. And this is really actually what the community groups are doing. And we're just kind of reaching along with that. Um, what does it mean to pursue biblical community? And, and the idea today is talking about the ideas of hospitality and generosity. And as we talk about it today, I'm going to do less about talking about what does that functionally look like, like how do you be a hospitable person, and more about what is the foundation of it. Because I actually think it's critical to grasp the foundational idea of why you're hospitable at all, because it needs to be an outflow. I feel sometimes what we do oftentimes with things like generosity and hospitality is it can feel like something we're supposed to do. It can feel like an obligation. And, and every time you have an obligation, you know, in your walk with God, the outcome is guilty. You do do it and you feel guilt, resentment, or pride, not the fruit of the Spirit. You know, this is not what God's desiring to do. And I think the key to understand hospitality and why we do comes out of this sense of from God, this flow from him. And that's what I want to talk about today. So we're going to take it all the way back to the foundations of it. We're going back into the law, into Deuteronomy, because I think, you know, this is, you could see, uh, they see the character of God ultimately in the We'll start there. We'll start with these obscure laws, which actually I think are fascinating. Talk about what they mean about who wants us to be an ultimate, and how that works out in our lives, and how we deal with some of these stumbling blocks or pitfalls. So really the blessing of hospitality we're talking about today. So into law, we want to just look at the passage which Jonathan uh, read. Uh, he said, you know, it, it actually three parallel situations. When you're harvesting in your field, eating olives from your trees, grapes in your vineyard, which are all kind of different things, right? You know, harvest, you know, one's this grains, which you bring all the way up. One is trees you have, which are olives. One's these vineyards you have. But in all three of those situations, it says, do not, when you harvest, don't go back over a second time. If you overlook a sheaf, don't go back and get it. You know, you're, you beat, you know, the branches for the olives, don't do it a second time. You have the olives up there. If you harvest your grapes, don't go back over them again and clean it up. So basically, you're supposed to be intentionally sloppy and lacking in diligence, <laughs> which is all. I love commands that tell me don't be diligent because it's like my sweet spot, you know? <laughs> no, this is not about not being diligent. You're being intentional, you know? <laughs> you're being very intentionally. But it's interesting, right? Because normally you think, man, if I want if I, if I to be a good steward of everything I have, man, I want to go and harvest and get every single thing or every olive or every grape. And here it's like, no, that is not the way you're thinking about it. You intentionally leave stuff. And this is not, by the way, this is not an obscure little command. This is in two times in Leviticus, right in the middle of the feast command. So this is actually kind of a big deal. And we'll talk even like Ruth, you know, comes back into it. So it's not a small matter, serious matter. 
And, but you see what the point is, each point, is not just to leave it and be sloppy, vulnerable groups, right? The, the father, you know, the, the one without the father, the widow, they're both, you know, le they don't have their, uh, you want know, to call it the breadwinner, or the main piece that would create the security in that culture that could be provided for and cared for. The foreigner was one who would come and be like sojourn in their midst, but he didn't have an inheritance, didn't have land. So again, very vulnerable. And there was a key thing is that Israel wanted to make sure that these folks had food, that they had what they needed to live. It even says, um, as you go furthermore, it goes, when you have finished setting aside a tenth of all your produce in the third year, the year of the tithe, you take that, you know, third year, tenth, you give it to the Levite, the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. And the Levite, remember, were the people who were set apart for ministry in Israel. I always think this is kind of nice as a pastoral staff, because it kind of says, you know, as pastoral staff, you don't have a job where you can earn money regularly, but the tithe of the people would provide for it. This is not about my pay, by the way. It's just, it's just kind of interesting that that's one of the passages. I like being grouped with the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. But the idea is that so they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. That this was a key part of what would happen in Israel, that these needy and vulnerable folks would be provided for from the whole. Um, as, as I mentioned earlier about Ruth, it's, uh, and I think even Lonnie mentioned this at her bat mitzvah, I mean, it's interesting that Ruth, you can see the connection to this passage, can't you? She is, groups, right? She's a foreigner, she was a widow, and she was fatherless there in Israel. She had just Naomi. And the main piece was when she's going into the field to glean from Boaz. And you often see, see Boaz's um, righteousness in the term that he made sure that they were not oppressed. Uh, the language you see a lot in Deuteronomy, don't oppress the poor, don't oppress them. Make sure you leave, even leave extra for them. And the kind of the picture there and the key kind of phrase to catch from Ruth, to catch here, and the purposes are she came under, it says like a, almost the wings of she didn't come under his care. And then Boaz, you know, kind of worked it out, took her in, and she was blessed as she came in under his care. And that's really kind of the key idea, is that God's care of these folks is, is very specific. It's all over the place, too. We, you know, I just mentioned here, like, uh, here in Deuteronomy 10, it says, For the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality, accepts no bribes, the character of God, right? Right in the midst, as we're describing the character of God, he says, he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, loves the alien. Your neighbor's grain field, you may pick kernels with your hands, but don't put a sickle. Because what's the, the second thing is you're actually going to harvest their stuff, right? If you took a basket over there, took from your neighbor, you're stealing, right? But he says, but just enough that you have food, go ahead and do it. I was trying to think, what, what would be the equivalent today for us? I was thinking it'd be like an ATM, and anyone could access your bank account anytime they wanted, not to empty it, but just to get like five or 10 bucks, enough to get some food. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a cool law if someone just had like these universal ATMs and they can just go into anyone's account they want, my neighbor's account, and get five bucks? But I don't know if you feel like that, I actually kind of wish people had access to my money for five bucks. I mean, I don't want to, you know, I'm so fearful they're going to take it all, but if it was just like, you know, just take enough for food, I'd want to give it to you, wouldn't you? Would you actually think about it? You'd want to actually have people do anything. If they come into your field and get some grapes, don't you stop them. You know, it's, it's a command to the one who has. All of these things are the ones who has to care for the one who does not. And, and the, but the picture there, oh, I stopped working. Oh, no. 
Tim's not here and this stops working, I'm always in trouble. Do I have it? Do I have to get me going again? Do I make this work? Thank you, Naomi. Naomi's great. Let's all thank Naomi. Oh, we'll just keep the ATM up there the whole time. What's that? Uh, that's true. Is God speaking to you, dear? But that's about our account, so. <laughs> you know. What am I talking about? All right. So, um, but I think the picture there especially becomes clear. It's, it's, it looks like the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? I mean, the idea that you could walk and be provided for as you needed it. And that's even the idea of a man in the desert as well. People had how much they needed for a day. Even like having to store away and put it all away is a sense almost like not trusting God for tomorrow. You know, God for the day would provide for you. And Israel, in that sense, was to reflect that. Yeah, it was to look, jeez. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> it's always half comedy, half preaching. It's good, it keeps people listening. But there's the, uh, what was that? What? Oh, was it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Israel was to be like the Garden of Eden, right? And so you were to have this community that was to look like that. And that's in all the ways. I even had other laws. I, I think I'll get in trouble not to do it. But you really see this, um, this picture of it. And he gives two kind of reasons for it in the text as to why I want this community to be like that. Because Israel, just because they're supposed to be like that, right? They're in a fallen world, they weren't like that. They didn't do it automatically. They weren't in the garden. He said, one of the reasons, leave it for the foreigner, the fathers and widow, why? So that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. God's desire is to bless them and care for them. Do this, live in this way, and God's blessing will flow through. And there's actually a lot of kind of passages like this, aren't there? Where it almost feels like it can be twisted a little bit. It made it seem like a, um, like a guarantee from God if you do this stuff. Like uh, Malachi, it says, you know, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour down so much blessing, there'll not be room enough to store it. You know, it's a, you know, an incredible promise. I think sometimes people almost twist these things into almost like, ooh, a greedy way to get gain is to get, you know, get this stuff. And it's not all that idea. The idea is that, that God wants to bless others through you and through Israel. You know, he wanted to care for the needy and he'd like to use them. So, yeah, you know, do this. And I'm glad to give you all the more harvesting because I want to see you take out and bless like that. And that's kind of the idea. You know, it wasn't so much that you do it from sense of greed, but that God wants to use us as a path of blessing for people. And as you bless, God is pleased to, to use you as a vessel to accomplish his purposes. You know, he's not like rewarding you in that sense, right? You're just making yourself an, a, a vessel that can be used in this way. And he gives a second reason too, which I think is important in the text too. He said, um, you know, when you harvest, leave what remains for the foreigner, fathers and widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That's why I command you to do this. And which is that this, this kind of phrase comes up again and again and again, not only in the Torah, but throughout the prophets as well. This sense of don't forget what God has done for you. Remember his redemption, remember his enormous blessings. 
And that, then, and that becomes one of the key reasons why you kind of stop doing stuff. We have this tendency to just, you know, forget what the incredible grace God's shown us. And we, you know, you think of forgiveness, right? We forgive as God forgiven you. How many times do you feel incredibly forgiven, but yet you suddenly become less forgiving towards others? It's like you forget the grace that was shown you. And there's this key idea among all this thing to remember the grace that was shown you. Remember how God redeemed you. Remember the love God's given you. Remember all that he has given you, all the blessings he's poured out on your life. Because you, you start to forget that, right? And you start, it's amazing how quickly, you know, quickly Israel would forget that and begin to behave in a way as if it didn't happen. It's a problem for all of us. And kind of as I, I'm talking about, I mean, you can, I hope you can begin to see the immediate, you know, application that comes into our lives. And these are laws, and Israel, I don't think every law pops over, but these underlying principles are ones which is God is revealing who he is, how we think about it, and how we want to think about you know, hospitality and care and our materials that we have. It's a sense that it comes from God, that God has blessed us, and God wants to care for those, that there aren't people walking around in need. That's not the way it's supposed to be. You know, I think uh, if you just want to see some text in the New Testament, you know, for instance, when he says, talks to those who are rich in this present world. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, uh, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, right? Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share, right? This is what you're supposed to do when you have wealth. Be generous, because the, the temptation of having any stuff is you immediately trust in it, don't you? Rather than trust in God. It says you have this stuff, be generous, be willing to share, keep your hope in God. In this way, you'll lay up a treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. That is always the temptation with stuff. And sometimes that's the blessing, oftentimes it sounds of the fatherless, the widow, and the foreigners, that they are utterly dependent on God and they see all things come from them. You know, as soon as we have the illusion of unneeding, it's amazing how our hope slowly drifts from God and drifts over to our bank account or drifts over to the stuff we have or the job we have. Like there's where our hope and security and future lie. And actually generosity is one of the ways which helps uh, stop that. You know, it reminds us God's the one who's given us. It reminds where the blessings come. It keeps our eyes on the other ones you have. You know, it kind of changes you. And uh, as I said also, that we, one of the problems is that we can begin to take a sense of obligation from that. Oh, gosh, I have to give. I have to be generous. And it's just a really, as I said at the start, it's, it's really a dangerous, because it really does happen, right? Either you feel like you're not being generous, you're not giving, you're holding on to your stuff, and then what do you do? You kind of feel guilty about it, or you feel shamed over it, or I should be doing this. Or you give and you feel resentment over it. Or even worse, I think you feel pride, because look how generous you are. You know, put my name on that building, I always think is hilarious. You know, so, I mean, it's okay to put names on buildings, but I always think like, you know, it's because people will do things for glory and pride. And it's just so far from what God's trying to do and the way he wants to grow us up to become like him and wants to use us and pour out his blessings through us. And I'm just going to, it's another big text, but sometimes I think it's just better to let the scripture preach to us than me. Um, it says, each of you should give, give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. 
Now he, meaning God, who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity, generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That ultimate glory that goes to God through our generosity. I think that kind of says it. God is able to provide and God wants us to be joyful in this. So as we talk about this larger idea, what it means to pursue biblical community, a community to pursue a community that looks like the way God wants us to do is a generous community. You know, it is a hospitable community. It's a community of, of people who see their lives full of the gifts of God and are just, you know, overflowing, that God is able to bless and work through them. And it, this is not just, um, I mean, I think it, it's, an, it's, an, it's a way of being in life. You know, as you talked about all the way back, hus hospitality, it's a, it's a way of opening your homes. It's a way of inviting people in. It's a way of desiring to bless, not impress. You just want to, you know, if you can bless people, that is your joy, right? That people can take in of what you're able to give. And isn't it, haven't you felt like when you're able to bless people, it's a blessing to you? You know, and that's the kind of community he wants us to have. That there's a sense in which, you know, no one should be in need. No one should be lacking. You know, every, everyone, you know, sounds crazy, but maybe we ought to have ATM cards offered, you know, and all of our bank accounts accessible for a meal. You know, it sounds crazy, but in principle, you know, the, the idea is not so crazy. Um, but that's the kind of, when God calls the kind of community he's calling us to, I think that's the kind of community he desires for us. That we are, there's this beautiful picture in um, Deuteronomy 15. He calls the difference between open-handed and closed-handed. And he goes towards people in need and stuff. Just be open-handed. You know, there's, and, and you realize that that almost like goes all the way in like this. Do you generally have an open hand? And I think every, every time we, we worry so much about being taken advantage of and all these kind of things. And yeah, and, and keep in mind, when you're being that open hand, you're being God's hand. I always think the strength in that on taking advantage is no one takes advantage of God, right? You don't have to, you know, you don't put your brain on the shelf or anything like that. But nor do we want to pretend that generosity and hospitality doesn't have a cost, because it does. God's generosity towards us has a great cost. Ultimately, it cost, his son died on the cross to redeem us, the ultimate cost. So <laughs> generosity and open-handedness comes with a cost, but it's a, cost, it's a cost which God says, I can bear for you, and I will bear through you, that I will grant you what you need to have an open hand. Don't be closed-fisted. And in many ways, I find that that's, it's a way of being towards people. It's a way of walking in the life. It's in some ways, sometimes it's a lot, you know, we're, we're so locked into sometimes, and I think good reasons why we need boundaries and stuff like that. But many times you can use this as an excuse to almost be safe. You know, I think there's a sense in which we all have to allow ourselves to be stepped on to a point. But it's not, you haven't given anyone power over you. Does that make sense? It's an empowered willingness to say, hey, God is able to give, God is able to bless. As C.S. Lewis would even say, he would say, you know, you can allow yourself to be hurt because you know you have the great healer, rather than being protective, you know. He says, protective, you get yourself in a, like, your own little coffin of your self-protection. Far better to be open and allow yourself. Sometimes better to err to that side and to believe that God is the great giver, that God is the provider, that God loves us.
and provides through us. And uh, again, if you want to be as a community, you want to be a community of people who have this open sense. When people who walk into our community feel the hospitality, feel the openness of lives, the openness of meals, the openness of care into people's lives. And it's not just financial things. There's people who are hurting in all kinds of ways, right? And can we be people whom God uses to bless and care for? Because really that's what hospitality is about. God blessing them through you. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, thank you for this, uh, the scriptures, Lord. We thank you for just your incredible grace towards us. And we confess, Lord, our, our, we take for granted so much that we have. And we place our hope in things we have, and we live oftentimes fearful and protective lives. Help us, Lord, to live open lives that allow, Father, open with our, our time, our resources, even our <laughs> uh, care. And Lord, we pray that, Lord, you'll bring people into our lives, be it neighbors, friends, family, others, Lord, who can sense your blessings and receive your blessings through us. Help us to be open vessels that you might pour your blessings through us into their lives. We thank you for your goodness, Lord. In Jesus' name.